All right, do you have your papers this morning, your, your listening sheets? I want you to write this down. I'm going to invite Paul to come up, and he's going to read our text here in just a second. But I want you to write this down, this question down. All right? And here's the question. I think it's up there on the screen, and maybe not. When was the last time you were offended? Write that question. When was the last time you were offended? Let's talk about that. Paul, if you would come and uh, read our text out of Mark 7, 24 through 30. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she answered him and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, go your way, for the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Amen. Amen. Jay, I'm going to go ahead and switch over to the lapel. I think I've got it on. stick with this all right so in the context here of chapter 7 Jesus is still looking for a day off and, and if and if you remember this is like a month ago he was looking for a retreat with his men he hasn't had one yet then he has this big confrontation with the Pharisees and he says, I guess there's only one way to get a day off, a rest, a recharge, the batteries, retreat. It's going to mean a 34-mile hike to the coast into enemy territory. So this is Jesus' first time outside of Palestine in Mark's account. And Lisa, I think I've got a um, map up there. There it is. I don't know how well you can see that. I sure can't see the one in the back. But that little red dot. Uh, that you see there is Tyre, and that's where that's where Jesus went to. And if you see the Sea of Galilee way down there, that's a 34-mile hike. You see that brown stuff in the middle? Those are mountains. Those are tall spots. So this was not an easy journey, but Jesus takes this journey in order to find some rest. Now, contextually, if you remember with with the with the Pharisees, he's just declared all foods are clean, right? It's not what goes in that defiles, but what comes out. And that was a big statement. And now he's going to declare that all people are clean, or at least cleanable, by going into the heart of pagan demonic worship, the region of Tyre and Sidon. This was a center uh, for demonic worship. Tyre itself was a center of the worship of the fertility and sexuality god 
Astarte. She was called the Queen of Heaven. Um, her counterpart, her husband, was the false god Baal, which you would remember from the Old Testament. And uh, interesting, seeing that she is the she is the goddess of sexuality. Um, they use the god Baal to take care of the product of that, and they would take babies and literally roll them into the fire um, as, as an act of worship. Uh, it's interesting to me and sad to see what's happened in Israel and Gaza this week. But you know, when people come in and literally behead babies in Palestine, we call them terrorists and we denounce it as evil. But when we behead babies in America, we call it women's rights and we celebrate it as a freedom. Are we really much different than they are? So this demon goddess is worshipped entire in this area that Jesus goes to, interesting place, Gentile region. Um, no self-respecting Jew would be found there on purpose. The woman in this account, we really don't know much about her, but the woman, and if you've got a phone today, unless you're using it for the Bible, please put it away. Um, let's be respectful of where we are and why we're here. Uh, that's really important. We have, we have got to let loose of those devices. Uh, we're here to worship God and hear his word, so let's attend to that for just a few minutes today. We don't know much about this woman, um, but she most likely, because of where she lived, worship this demon goddess and it may have even that worship may have even been the portal for her daughter's possession we don't know but it would make sense one commentator said this she came from an area that was engulfed in pagan idolatry and was undoubt undoubtedly an idol worshiper herself tyre and sidon were the major centers of worship for the fertility goddess astarte also known as Ashtaroth in the old testament in the minds of the Jews, no self-respecting rabbi would ever allow a Gentile, especially an idolatrous woman, to remain in his presence. And yet we see in our text today, the very first thing that we see um, in verse um, 24 is he goes this 34-mile hike to the coast to get away. It says, and he entered a house and wanted no one to what? To know it. But he could not be hidden. Jesus, Jesus apparently can't get far enough away in order to not be hidden. Just jot this down in your outline. Mark chapter 3 and verse 8. Mark 3 and verse 8. Here's what he said. I think we forget this, but in Mark's account, he gives it to us. He says, and from Jerusalem and Edoima and beyond the Jordan, listen to this, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. So word had reached at 34 miles to Tyre and Sidon, and even the Gentiles were making journeys into the region of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus was ministering. So Jesus was not an unknown quantity. Matter of fact, he couldn't even get into the retreat center, <laughs> the house, without being recognized. And by the way, he's discovered before even entering that, that house. A mother comes and falls at his feet, begging him to heal her demon-possessed little girl. And as an aside, 
there's no hiding Jesus. And if you can, it may not be Jesus that you have. So there's a thought today. That one hurts me. There is no hiding Jesus. And if, you, if he can be hidden in your life, if you meet someone new and after a few minutes, say, oh, you're a Christian. Something might be wrong there. That should be abundantly evident. But Jesus answer, answers her finally. At first, the text tells us he ignores her, which seems very what? Thank you, Tom. Very rude. Like, Matthew's account is a little fuller. And apparently, she is begging his disciples uh, to get to Jesus so that, that, that Jesus might cast this unclean spirit out of her daughter. And, and the disciples finally come to Jesus and say, hey, send, would you please just send this woman away? Um, so they're begging the disciples. And I think they were serving, if I, if I look at both of these texts, I think the disciples were kind of serving as a physical barrier between her and Jesus. And uh, when they turn to tell Jesus, she somehow gets through. And she literally falls down at his feet in an act of worship and begs him to cast this demon out of her daughter. So first of, the first thing Jesus does is he doesn't even acknowledge her. And then secondly, he tells her, look, I didn't come for you. I came for the Jews who are the children. And you are a dog. And is it right to take the children's food and cast it to the dogs? Um, how many of you are out right there? <laughs> like, I'm serious. How many of you, Jesus says that to you, like, all right, I'm out. Thought you could help me, but I'm out of here. We're so easily offended. That's not nice, Jesus. I'm going to take my toys and go home. I'm going to go do my own thing. I don't need you people. I'll figure it out on my own. It's going to be ugly to me. But her response is telling. Her need is so great, it drives her to humility. Jesus is impressed. And in Matthew's version, just jot it down, Matthew 15, 28, he tells her, he recognizes in her great faith. Here's what Matthew said in verse 28 of chapter 15. Then Jesus answered her and said, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Great is your faith. That's interesting. I looked that up. And hence the title of the sermon today. The prefix, that word great in there, is where in the Greek is where we get our word uh, mega from mega so literally Jesus is saying to her lady you have mega faith um, and Jesus the only thing that ever impressed or, or set Jesus back on his feet was faith and it tended to be faith from Gentiles dogs not the people Jesus came for initially so in looking at this woman and, and honestly scratching my head a little bit I think through her, we can discover a little bit of a path that we might have this kind of mega faith. But some things, we've got to understand some things. What is the YBH of mega faith? And what does YBH mean, church? Yeah, but how? So let's observe this woman, and let's see <coughs> what we can discover. Number one, mega faith does not deny the problem. Mega faith in your outline 
does not deny the problem. And what's this woman's problem? Her, there's a demon that's possessed her daughter. And it's horrible. It's not the power of positive thinking or a way of looking at that situation through rose-colored glasses. A mega faith is nothing if it's not realistic. It acknowledges all the challenges, difficulties, struggles, sufferings. It calls sin, sin. It looks at the situation and says, hey, that's impossible for man. Do you not think that woman had tried everything? Of course she had. She had nothing left. And then she finds out somehow that the Messiah has come to a Gentile pagan land. And she goes and finds him. And she doesn't whitewash it. She doesn't come to him and say, well, you know, my, my, my little girl, she has a behavior problem. No, she is possessed by an unclean spirit. And, and you're the only hope I got. Doesn't rewrite the past. It doesn't color the situation as better than it is. Mega faith does not deny the problem. Listen, people with great faith own the problem. And they're honest about it. Number two, I know there's seven points there and you're getting nervous. They're going to go fast except for number four. Spend a little time on four. Uh, mega faith goes directly to the source of blessing. What do we sing at the end of every service here? The doxology. How's it begin? Praise God from whom he's the source of every blessing. Do we believe that today? He's the source of every blessing. And she goes right to the source. As soon as she found out, we don't know how, but we know that she found out that Jesus of Nazareth was there. What does she do? She comes and she falls at his feet. You know what? I think sometimes we depend too much on ourselves. Anybody with me today? On our own resources, our own abilities. But great faith acknowledges and knows that beyond our own resources is the source of all power and blessing. I can't, he can. And this woman knew that. Number three, mega faith throws itself at the feet of Jesus. Mega faith throws itself at the feet of Jesus. And by the way, that's an act of both worship and submission. And it carries the idea of the abandonment to the purpose, plan, and power of God. We abandon ourselves to God's purpose. By the way, she didn't come to Jesus with her own plan and ask him to bless it. You notice that? How many times have we done that? Here's what I'm going to do, Lord, and I, I need your stamp. No, she says, Lord, this is out of my control, and I give it to you. But it's scary to give up control, isn't it? But when we yield control, control to Christ, what freedom comes? We talked about that in our discipleship group this morning. He intends us to live and walk in freedom. 
And this little girl was not in any kind of freedom, was she? He was going to change that. It was an act of submission. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said this in this section. I thought it was good. He said, Christ never put anyone from him that fell at his feet, which a poor, trembling soul may do. As she was a good woman, so a good mother, this sent her to Christ. His saying, let the children first be filled, shows that there was mercy for the Gentiles and not far off. She spoke not as making light of the mercy, but magnifying the abundance of miraculous cures among the Jews in comparison with which a single cure was but a crumb. Thus, while proud Pharisees are left behind um, the, uh, by the blessed Savior, he manifests his compassion to poor, humble sinners who look to him for children's bread and he still goes out to seek and save the lost. Isn't that something? By the way, I got a little homework assignment for you. There are nine people mentioned in the Gospels who fell at Jesus' feet. Nine. And if you can identify those nine, some of those are repeat accounts. So, you know, I think four or five of them are in Mark. Um, Come and tell me. I'll, I'll have some kind of fabulous prize for you. I don't know what, but it'll be fabulous for sure. All right. This is the one I want to I camp on for a minute. Number four, mega faith is unoffendably persistent. Now, apparently my computer tells me that unoffendably is not a word. Well, it is today. I just made it up apparently. Uh, it should be a word if it's not. Amen. Mega faith is unoffendably persistent. Now, at first, Jesus ignores this woman, and apparently his guys were serving as a buffer between her and Jesus. But when he finally did answer her, his tone was less than encouraging. <laughs> but she kept begging. Isn't that something? Now, it, it is, it I think it seems super harsh to us what Jesus said. Because he literally calls not just her, but all of her people, the Gentiles of that area, he calls them dogs, in comparison with children, speaking of the Jews. But, but there's two words for dogs. And Jesus uses, the first word is, is, is a word for dogs that describe these roving bands of wild dogs scavengers um, that would go through the towns and cities at night and they were very dangerous they they were not afraid of men um, they would attack they were vicious but the word that Jesus uses for dog here is is a household pet or a little dog or a puppy so literally what Jesus is saying is it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their puppy is what Jesus he wasn't being unkind but he was making a theological point. And here, here it is. His first priority was the Jewish people. That's what, he was the Messiah's Jew, the Jewish Messiah. He was the king of the, what? Jews. And he was reminding her of that. Jot this down, Romans 1.16. 
It's not like that went away. Um, this is in the middle um, part of the first century. And Paul writes this to the church at Rome, which was predominantly Gentile, just a few Jews at this time. Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, verse 16, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, and listen to this, to the Jew, what? First, and also to the Greek. So Jesus came for the Jewish people. But right here, he opens the door and tells us, shows his disciples. He had just declared all foods clean, and now he's going to declare all people cleanable, right? Um, how, how, aren't you glad as Gentiles that we get to at least be second, right? I'm, I'm thankful for that. So I, I said here, mega faith is unoffendably persistent, how many of you know that this book right here is offensive? Don't even bother reading it if you don't want your feelings hurt. This book is full of judgment. There's no such thing as reading it without being judged. Paul would explain to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the word of God cuts going in and what? It cuts coming out. It's a two-sided sword. Full of judgment. It's full of offense. If you read the word of God and aren't offended, you're not reading it right. Listen, God's word hurts my feelings every day. And I need it. Jot this down. This is a great verse. Some of you need to memorize it. Psalm 119, verses 165. That's a long chapter, by the way. Longest chapter in the, in the Bible. And look what he says there, the psalmist David. Great peace have they which love thy law. And look at this and nothing shall offend them. I think I've got that under there. Great, I can hear my father-in-law. Remember him preaching this, Elizabeth's dad? I can't do it like he does. I'm not even going to try, but great. We had this guy in our church that was offended by everything. Matter of fact, it's terrible, but behind his back, we called him Mr. Offended. I mean, this was a guy that, I mean, just stuff that wasn't even there. It was, it was just made up in his mind, and he would get offended, and it, Every Sunday evening, my father-in-law would get a phone call. Usually had my name in it. Paul offended me. And I had to call this guy all the time and apologize. Matter of fact, we, we, we joked around saying his phone number was 1-800-I'm-offended. Right? Uh, but the Bible says if those who love God are unoffendable. And here, this, guy, this guy was very offendable. And, and here, here's, here's a question. Let me ask you a question because this is painful a little bit. Do you tend to assume the intention of goodwill or ill will when someone says or does something that could be deemed offensive? I had a guy, his name was John Huargi. Um, I was working with him for, with a marriage initiative here in Macon back when I first came 23 years ago. And... Uh, he brought that up. For, it's the best marriage advice I've ever been given. He said, Paul, you just need to assume the intention of goodwill. Do we do that? Or do we, do, are, are we a walking wound looking for offense? We heard in our discipleship group this morning, so good, talking about wounds. We all have them, by the way. 
We've all been wounded. And one thing that Neil Anderson said this morning in our group is that wounds speak to wounds, don't they? Your woundedness <laughs> in its woundedness will speak to other people in their woundedness. And then they, in their woundedness, will speak back to you. And what do you have there? You've got a vicious circle. My wife likes to call it the crazy circle. And some of us has lived in that crazy circle so long, we don't know that there's anything else out there. But how about we try assuming the intention of goodwill instead of going right to the worst possible motive in people? And what's interesting is we always assume the intention of goodwill in ourselves, but ill will in everybody else. And I have found that usually can be traced back to a wound that most likely took place very young in that person's life. You know, and I laugh about that fellow in our church in Florida, but I wish I could go back, understanding what I know now, and walk with him to discover where that wound was so he could find some healing through forgiveness. Here's the problem with wounds. I call them the walking wounded. And my father-in-law used to love to say this as well. He said, hurt people hurt people, don't we? Right? That wound speaks to that wound, and nothing good comes out of that. But here's the problem with wounds, is they never stay where they are. And if you don't take proactive action, they don't heal either. They get worse. They get infected, and they infest your soul. And from those wounds, you make some vows. I've been wounded, probably very young in your experience on this earth, probably a parent. Um, most likely your father. The father wound is a big wound. Anybody understand that? Mike, I know you understand. Well, you and I have talked for hours about this. There's a father wound out there, right? And my dad wounded me. And I turned around, and you know what I did? I wounded my kids in very much the same way. Okay, Sam, you don't need a point. I know where you are. <laughs> Sam's going to come give a testimony about that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> We've all been wounded, right? But here's the problem with wounds. Here's the problem with wounds. They don't just stay there. We make vows. We make promises as a result of that wound. And, and you say, well, what does that look like, Pastor? It looks like this. They start with one of two words. I'll never or I'll always. Right? I'll never trust people in authority again I'll always seek advice from peers and not parents I'll never and I'll always we make vows we don't even know we've done it and from those vows come agreements and what do the agreements sound like because I'm never going to trust adults again or people in authority again then the agreement is people in authority aren't safe. People in authority don't care about me. People who are supposed to protect you are the very ones that are going to hurt you. Stay away from them. There's another vow. What happens when you live your life that way? In agreement with those vows that you made. A lot of pain. A lot of pain. 
and you end up hurting other people. This woman was unoffendable. I don't know how she did it. I'm offended for her. Some of you are too. I was talking with my son about this text this week. I'm like, good night. This is a hard text. Jesus is almost cruel to this woman. Now, it is softened when you understand the Greek word you know, about the little puppy thing. But still, a puppy's still a dog, right? And it's, it's an order of priority. You still feed the dog, but you don't feed the dog first. The dog gets the leftovers type of thing. But we need to, we need to ask ourselves. I ask you that question. When was the last time I was offended? And I saw someone back their mouth uh, this morning. I literally saw that. And, and, and it probably was, wasn't it, this morning? Ask yourself why. We've got to do some work on this so we can walk in freedom. And by the way, I'm just gonna, this is not what this is about. At some point, I'm going to do a whole maybe mini-series on this. But you've got to break those vows. You can't, you can't fix the wound. Did it happen? Yes, and remember, people of great faith don't rewrite the past. They tell the truth. But... What you got to do is, here's a word that we understand today. You've got to unsubscribe from the vow. You got to get off that email list by making a new vow that deals with forgiveness and taking the judgment of all of that and putting it, seeing it in the cross of Jesus. And you let those people off the hook, and we heard it this morning. Why should I let those people off the hook? Because their hook is still in you. And, and, and the hook that's in you is affecting your relationship with everybody around you. And this woman was unoffendable. But she was also persistent. Because she could not be offended, she would not give up. And by the way, that's, that's, a, that's part of the vows and agreements that happen to us, is we tend to self-destruct. We quit on everything, is that's depending on the wound. This woman wasn't going to quit. J.C. Ryle, Bishop J.C. Ryle said this, I love this. He said, fathers and mothers are especially bound to remember the case of this woman. They cannot give their children new hearts. Somebody needs to hear that. You, mom and dad, cannot give your kid a new heart. They can give them Christian education and show them the way of life, but they cannot give them a will to choose Christ's service and a mind to love God. How many parents have lived that one? The bishop goes on to say, yet there is one thing they can always do. They can pray for them. They can pray for the conversion of the profligate sons who will have their own way and run greedily into sin. They can pray for the conversion of worldly daughters who set their affections on things below and love pleasure more than God. Such prayers are heard on high. Such prayers will bring down God's blessings. Never let us forget that the children for whom Many prayers have been offered, seldom finally perish. Boy, what a word. Let us pray more for our sons and daughters, even when they will not let us speak to them about religion. They cannot prevent us speaking for them to God. Amen. What a word of wisdom. We should always pray and not faint. Prayer and faith, persistent even when God seems to respond, not a word. Keep at it. She was persistent. Number five, mega faith repeats the word of God. 
Number five, mega faith repeats the word of God. This woman took what Jesus said and she repeated it back to him and then added a request to it. Listen to this. Great faith is anchored in the scripture. How does she respond? She said, yes, Lord. By the way, we need to learn to say that more often. Amen. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, you're right. You're right. I am secondary. My people are secondary. I understand who you came for. But doesn't a dog clean up the floor from the child? When something falls, doesn't doesn't that little dog? Isn't there a crumb left for me? I know all these miracles you've done in Galilee for the Jews, but I'm just asking for a crumb. (laughs) She would not give up. Oh, how we need to be like that. By the way, speaking the word of God back to him, powerful way to pray. There is a book, a little book, and at some point we're going to have to get a case of these books, and uh, maybe that be part of our discipleship time together. It's called Praying the Word of God, no, Praying the Scriptures by Donald Whitney. Isn't it Scriptures? Praying the Scriptures? I think. I'll have to check that. I feel like I just read it recently, but maybe it is praying the Bible or praying the scriptures by Donald Whitney. It just shows you how, how to use the word of God in your prayer life. God loves to hear his word spoken back to him. So this woman takes what he says in agreement, says, you're right, but isn't there a crumb that falls off the table that my daughter can have today, Lord? Some of us got a faulty view of God, like he's some horrible judge and he is a horrible judge if you come to him in your own sin but like he says horrible mean um, almost evil vindictive God that just wants to punish you for all your sin you know I'm not the sharpest crayon in a box but I'm pretty sure Jesus teaching his disciples to pray didn't say your honor in heaven But he said what? Our Father. Our Father. And even bad fathers want to give good gifts to their kids. Even when we fail to deliver. That's not our desire. Number six. Mega faith responds with submission. Now we talked about this a minute ago. But I I want to make an additional comment here. The woman answers yes Lord. Those are two very important words in our prayer vocabulary. They acknowledge him who is in charge, not unlike Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what he prayed? Not my will, but yours be done. We pray with an open hand. Great faith surrenders the outcome to God, acknowledging that he and he alone knows what's best for us. Jot this reference down, James 4, 6, and 7. Said God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit yourself to God. And that act of submission for her was physical. She fell at his feet. Why do you think it is that when people come in the presence of a king... They, they fall to their knees. That's an act of what? 
submission and humility. But it's really an act of submission. Because think about this. The king has all the authority, right? And when you are bowed down on your knee, what is exposed? The back of your neck. What is in the back of your neck? Your spine. What happens when your spine is severed? You're dead. Literally, when you bow before a dignitary, or in this woman's case, when she gets on her knees before the king of the universe, she exposes the back of her neck and says, do with me what you will. I come to you in a defenseless posture because I trust you. How many of us pray like that? Defenseless. Submitting yourself to God. There's so much power in that. So much power in that. And I want to encourage you to think about that the next time you come to him. Which will be in just a minute. Last one. Mega faith is always rewarded. It really is. This type of faith is always rewarded. Jesus is impressed with her faith. And basically he says, you got it. Go home. Um, what you've asked for is yours. For this saying, verse 29, go your way. For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. We don't know the rest of the story there. Because Jesus doesn't say anything else according to Mark. And I went to Matthew, and Matthew doesn't record anything else either. And if nothing was actually said here by Jesus to the demon, this is one of the only times that Jesus does something like this without a, a command, which speaks something of his power, doesn't it? <laughs> he don't even need to tell the demon to leave. He just, needs to, he just tells the woman he's gone, and guess what? The demon is gone. She gets home, and what does she find? Her daughter's well. The demon has left her. Great faith is always rewarded with divine intervention, which comes either through a miracle or through a specific message from God that enables us on the journey. I put this up there. I wrote this down. It says, sometimes God supernaturally changes the circumstances. We call that a... Miracle. And sometimes he chooses rather to supernaturally empower the saint, and that's might. Sometimes God performs the miracle and changes the exterior, and sometimes he performs a miracle by strengthening you supernaturally on the inside so that you can endure it with grace, trusting him, giving him the back of your neck. That makes sense. Am I going to love God even when it doesn't work out? Am I going to serve God even when God says no? Hold on to that, saint. Mega faith, this great faith is always rewarded. It's either rewarded with miracle or might. And listen to me. One is not better than the other. Sometimes God calms the storm without. And sometimes he calms the saint within. Either way, there's peace and resolution. Isn't that true? So maybe you're thinking, 
Well, it's easy for you to preach that, but you don't know what I'm facing this morning. You don't know what I'm going through. And the beauty of this story is that it was not the faith of the demon-possessed girl that brought the healing. It was the faith of her loving mother. I want you to hear that. If you can't muster a mega faith and learn to trust in the faith of those around you. If you can't, you say, man, that's not me. I got puny faith. But I know a few mega faith people. Grab onto those folks. God honors their faith on your behalf. I'll never forget Jim Williams going through something like that when his oldest son was taken. That guy was a praying machine. Before I die, I want to pray like him. And he told me some things. I wrote it down. Never felt comfortable to share it publicly, but about his daily routine before the Lord. It was not what you would think when you think of Jim Williams. He had a really stark, passionate relationship with God. When Stephen was killed, um, he hit a brick wall. And he couldn't pray. And I mean, this guy prayed like minimum an hour a day. And he, and he just couldn't. You remember this, Mike. And Mem, I think you were there too. We were the four of us. And I think it was Michael that said, Jim, we'll pray for you. You hang on to us. We'll go to God on your behalf. And then it wasn't long. He said, you know what? I've been able to pray the Lord's Prayer. That's all I can pray. But I'm praying the Lord's Prayer every morning. And I'm able to do that. And it wasn't long after that that God began to father him in his broken father's heart that not only did he regain the depth of his prayer life, it deepened and we went back to normal and that was when the three of us hung on to him never underestimate the prayers and faith of others on your behalf. God grant us a great faith. Where are you today? What do you need to pray for? What do we need to ask God for as a result of his word today? I, I, don't, I don't even want to put words around that. I think the Holy Spirit needs to whisper that into your heart. And I think you need to obey. Even as we sing our response song right now, I want you to be praying. You don't have to sing. Maybe you just need to pray. And exercise some faith. Our musicians come and I'll pray and we'll sing this together. Father, we come to you today and we just trust you trust you we're not looking for the easy way out 
we're looking for the faith way in. Lord, I think of the man who came to Jesus on behalf of his child, and he said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's a great place to start. Lord, would you do that today? There was a lot in here today. Would you speak? Would you reveal Holy Spirit? Would you teach us to pray with you? Help us to get over offense and start giving people the benefit of the doubt instead of doubting our believing friends. Help us to unsubscribe from devilish vows that were made in the midst of hurt. May you reveal that in us today that we might walk in freedom. Whatever you're doing, Lord, would you do it in the hearts of your people today as only you can. Maybe some of us need to find our feet and come up here and in an act of submission kneel before you at an old-fashioned altar. Whatever it is, Lord, I ask you to work as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen.